You know. You know. You know what I really miss. I really miss theater school. Most specifically, I really miss all the lessons that theater school taught me. Hey, this is Jim, and you're listening to Jim Bits, live from my bathtub, where I'm hot, and I'm wet, (laughs) and I'm totally naked. When I was in theater school, in Blue Lake, California, Redwood Country, I'd wake up every day, I'd leave the house, I'd walk, and Blue Lake was a tiny town of 1,300 people, um, an hour and a half south of the Oregon border. Blue Lake had the lager bar which was full of old chainsaws and logging paraphernalia and the best beef jerky and pickled eggs that you could imagine. They had unflattering names for us Del Arte students there, the locals. But they also loved us. They accepted us. We never felt out of place. It's funny though. I somehow felt myself like I didn't belong. Not in the logger bar, but in the Odd Fellows Hall, which housed our school, founded by the great Carlo Mezzone Clemente, a certain odd fellow in and of himself. Yeah, I, I didn't believe I belonged. I didn't believe I was talented enough. I mean, who was I to be there? When I did my undergraduate degree, I didn't study acting. I studied theater studies and contemporary studies. I studied big ideas. And as such, I didn't think that I could act. I didn't think I had value. I certainly didn't have the piece of paper that called me an actor. And the way I was raised, I kind of felt like I had to be legitimized by a university in order to do my job. So the whole time I was there, I was in awe of all these talented, brilliant people. I remember Calais. We had to do a theatricalized, personal introduction of ourselves. Calais was Swedish. Funny story about Calais. He was doing a movement piece at one point in time. And uh, Joan Shirley, The instructor said, what was that supposed to represent, Calais? And Calais said, oh, this is cows. And we thought, oh yeah, cows. It was just kind of weird and it didn't make sense, but you know, pat the poor Swedish dude on the head who had a a much better comprehension in English vocabulary than my Swedish or my Danish was, but you know, we were being patronizing to the second language guy. It happens. Oh, cows, right. And he said, no, no, cows, cows.
chaos. It's total chaos. Like bombs going off. It's chaos everywhere. Ah, chaos. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. And Kelly came out for his personal introduction with a fork. And he looked at us all and he was big. He was six foot four. And, you know, I was 25 at the time. He was in his 30s, which to me was ancient. I mean, who goes back to school in their 30s? What the hell is this guy doing here? I mean, if I was a screw up because I didn't have an acting degree, at least I wasn't in my 30s. This was how I rationalized the status of this. It's kind of screwed up. You know. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> anyway, Kelly came out with a fork and he looked at us. He said, I am Kelly. I am a fork man. His last name was Forkman. So he had the fork. That was important information. And if I was better at theater, I uh, might have... <laughs> uh, laid that out before I get to this part of the story. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not so great at this. Aren't we all? I am Kelly. I am a fork man. I eat life in big bites. And he took the fork and he pierced the air with it and opened his mouth. And then he stuck it into his nose so it would hang from the, the septum. Is it the septum that, you know, people put the nose ring place that make people look like they're a cow. If you look like you're a cow, maybe Calais was talking about you. There's cows everywhere. They all have ringing nose like you. Reminds me of another funny story about my father and ex-girlfriend of mine and their 25th anniversary. And he took one of the silver rings out of his nose, out of the cake, and he stuck it in his nose. And he said, hey, Christina, I bet you don't feel like a total weirdo now, huh? I've got one, too. <laughs> she was mortified. It was awesome. <laughs> and he took the fork, stuck it up his nose and said, Yum! With his nose crossed, looking at his nose. It was brilliant. He got all kinds of accolades for perpendicularities, setting up expectations, all the things that we were supposed to do well in theater school. Calais did them perfectly. All while butchering the language. Damn. He was a performer, a writer, and a butcher. Me? All I was was someone who could push. I just tried hard. <sighs> tried to figure it out in my head, and time after time, day after day, I tried to control my image and, and look cool. This is how I want people to see me. As competent, as good. <laughs> because I felt like the biggest friggin' imposter in that school. I didn't know why I was there. I was difficult to work with. Kind of thought it was all my fault. Funny thing happened over time. I soon learned that everyone was difficult to work with. Anyway, I loved it and I felt so grateful to be there no matter how much I felt like a total imposter, how much I felt like I didn't belong, how shitty and inadequate I felt 
day after day, I was grateful for the opportunity to be there with these brilliant people. And leaving the school, we all had ambition. It was competitive, never spoken, but there was, you know, I want the Blue Man Group. I want Cirque du Soleil. I want the, I want the, I want the, you know, to prove somehow we'd get the approval, the outside, external seal of approval that we were good enough. On graduation day, sideways funny story. This was Redwood Country in the late 90s, 1998. May, the end of May to be precise. At our graduation, there were two plates of cookies because we were in Humboldt County. There were the cookies <laughs> for people who wanted a cookie. And then there were the cookies for people who wanted a journey. Anyway, I had neither because I'm not much of a cookie man, right? Not a cookie man, not a cake man. Fudge and sour candy, however. Anyway, I digress. I guess that's an ADD moment for me. Thanks for sticking in. You still there? Hey, good. So, at the graduation, I shook the hand of one of the leads of the program, Master Mime Daniel Stein. It always sounds better when you say his name, the full thing, with mime as the last syllable. Daniel Stein Master Mime. He Master Mimed the whole thing. Although, of course, nobody could hear him. <clears throat> anyway, he didn't mime at this time. He shook my hand and he said, what are you doing when you're done here? And I said, I don't know. I want to get paid to make people laugh and have girls like me. He said, huh, great ambition. I'm sure you'll be really successful. Maybe that's not how he said it, but that's how I heard it. He's like, Meh. Anyway, I left there. Years later, that mm, parasitic billionaire, Mark Zuckerberg, right, sure he's done the giving something or other, but like, let's just tax the shit out of him. And if this is playing on your platform, Mark, and your AI spies are hearing me, I am slightly paranoid about these things. Hey, buddy, you stole that. You stole our images, our dreams, our desires, and our minds, and you made yourself wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. You need to pay more taxes. Anyway, another side note. Anyway, Mark Zuckerberg's monstrosity came along and I started seeing people. And I was still working and earning a living as a performer, doing my own thing. I wasn't getting anyone's approval. But I was just chipping away at it, doing what I loved. I didn't feel legitimate. I still compared myself. Not to all the people who left behind their theater careers and went on to become teachers or other great jobs. Not to diminish what they did, because what they did was wonderful. But I compared myself to my friend Shannon, who went on to be the lead clown for a Cirque du Soleil show. I compared myself to my friend John, who was a blue man and then went on to win the gong show. 
I compared myself time and time again to everybody who I thought was doing so much better than me. When in reality, they just had. They just had a bit of external approval. They had what I craved. But even if I had that, I don't think it would have been enough. You see, every audience, every new step was a way to give somebody else power to approve of me and what I've done. Every step was a way to make the approval external, which would never be enough. External approval and satisfaction, I learned were different things. I learned this at another school. When I was finishing second year at the Gestalt Institute in Toronto, I went up to whatever teacher and said, what am I supposed to do, hug you or shake your hand? And my mentor, Tony, he said, do whatever you can get away with. That's the Gestalt way. <laughs> Ever since then, I haven't looked back. I, I didn't get the accreditation that I needed in Nova Scotia to be a registered professional counselor because the training I had in Ontario was better than the, what better than what I would get at a master's program in the Annapolis Valley, which would accredit me here. Instead, I joined a professional association that had recognized what I had already done rather than what I wasn't. And I became a therapist by doing it, getting supervision and coming back every day. I did what Seth Godin said that we all need to do in this day and age. I picked myself. You can pick yourself too. Even if you have ridiculous imposter syndrome, even if you don't believe that you should be there, that everyone else is more qualified or they have a BA in acting, not in theater studies, you can pick yourself. And the way to overcome imposter syndrome is to just keep showing up, just keep doing it and just realize you're not the only one. Oh, oh I'm not the only one. Sorry, more Pacific Northwest. That was uh, one of my other, at the time, idols, Kurt Cobain. You know, you're not the only one. Pick yourself. You can do it. You'll find a way. Oh, damn, the phone cut off and I don't know what I did. I don't know if this has been recorded or not, my last bit of speaking. So I'm going to record something here. No, it hasn't. Okay. So. I'm not sure what I said. And I'm not going back to do this again. I should proofread this, but I'm putting out a podcast a day. And if you're hearing something that's redundant, just turn it off. 
But if you don't think it's redundant, stick in because there's a real nice tag at the end. Damn, I did it better the first time. What I learned was to do what Seth Godin said and choose myself. Right? When I moved here, I didn't have the qualifications to become a registered counseling therapist. And no place in Nova Scotia recognized the 1800 hours of training that I took in Ontario. No place in Nova Scotia recognized the Gestalt Institute, which in Ontario was one of the first places recognized, even before the University of Toronto, in training psychotherapists. But I looked at the law and all they were doing was legislating and regulating a title. They didn't regulate the practice of psychotherapy. So I chose myself. I called myself a clown and a shrink. And I started seeing clients. I paid weekly for supervision. And I found a professional association that recognized the work and the study and the training that I had my personal professional praxis. And I didn't spend 20 grand going to Acadia looking for the approval of people whose program was quite frankly below my skill set. And if you're one of those Acadia profs and you're listening to this, yeah, I mean it. <laughs> you're not a gatekeeper, right? Universities want to be gatekeepers. But if you've got the skill and you can find the loophole, you can pick yourself. You can do it. You'll find a way. Choose you. And choose to listen to some more juicy Timbits. Wait, no. Don't, don't get Timbits unless they're sour cream glazed. Listen to more Jimbits. Hot, wet, completely naked, served up fresh, daily, directly into your ear hole. <laughs>